Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Shame expert Gloria Jackson Nefertiti calls in to talk about her life as a black femme with undiagnosed autism growing up. Gloria somehow continues to be her usual charming self, sharing very personal anecdotes and also talks about anti-blackness and how it affected her in school as a younger person. But I'll let Gloria tell you herself here on Intimate Interactions. Okay, so you wanted to talk about autism, blackness, and sort of the intersection of those things. You know, it started for me in um, grade school, well, like like in the uh, first grade for me, because um, I noticed that I was definitely treated differently from, from everybody else. Actually, um, you you know it's like I was a uh, target for bullies, sure. Which which I which I understand is very common for uh, people with autism. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know I started finding out recently that some of the reasons why is because you know we t- tend to be very very trusting, uh, you know, and uh, unsure of ourselves, and uh, you know we just uh, uh, tend to act differently from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yes, and um, and what was especially interesting, well, it, it it was interesting and upsetting, is that um, I would be bullied at school, mm-hmm. and and then when when I get home from school, I would be bullied some more. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you know, yes, I came from a uh, a, a very dysfunctional. Um, domestic violence uh, type of situation. Oh, jeez. You know? I, I didn't realize that that started at home. Right, right, right. It did, you know. So so I got the, you know, bullying, you know, just right. every, every which way, you know. Yeah, and I remember my uh, father would, would, would just be furious with me. You know, he and my older sister, you know, mm-hmm. and what what I what I never understood was was why they they would be so angry with me, but but not so angry with the people who were doing the bullying. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was like um, it it felt like it was some kind of a um a, you know this huge character flaw. Right. 
on on my part, you know, like I was, uh, you know, seen as very weak, you know, because I couldn't defend myself. You know, I, I, I was totally unable to stand up for myself, and, and that just made them so mad. I completely understand. Um, I mean, I shouldn't say that I understand your situation specifically, but I, I certainly empathize just given that uh, my mom was very minorly physically abusive. It's so funny how we um, erase ourselves, but she was primarily mm. emotionally abusive. And when mm. she would bully me, sometimes I would stand up for myself and then I would get it from the rest of my family. Why do you wind her up? Why, why do you do that? And it's like, huh. I'm just trying to stand up for myself here. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> But it didn't, yeah, I mean, it didn't tend to make the situation better, but I felt better about it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and then, you, you know, of course, in my situation, if, if I had stood up to my father, uh, that would not have been okay. And I, you know, I definitely would have paid for it, you know, by, uh, you know, being smacked. And, uh, you know, basically, you know, from, uh, you know, just the violence. You know, right. Yeah. 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 So um, and and also I remember, too, now uh, I I should you know back up a little bit. Um, I was, was born and raised in Mississippi, you know, for, for the uh, first 15 years of my life. And one of the things that that my classmates would commonly say to me is they, they would ask why I talk the way I do or what, you know, why do I uh, talk proper or, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, that, that was, that was just one more thing that uh, set me apart from everybody else. Right. You know, I uh, talked so much differently and I'm realizing, you know, now that uh, that's definitely an autism trait. Oh, interesting. I didn't actually realize yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To um, to to have um, oh, let's see. I guess you know proper grammar and, sure. and diction and that, that makes uh, sense. I, yes, I mean, and a, a lot of it I got from you know watching television. You know, sure. Yeah, because it's you know it's really interesting that even though I was uh, living in Mississippi. Um, my classmates would constantly ask me where I was from, you know, because I didn't sound like I was local to Mississippi. You know, I didn't have a Southern accent. Sure. So, you know, it's like once once again, that kind of set me apart from everybody else. And one of the things that that I read about um, children with with autism Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, more, more than once I've seen them, described as uh little professors <laughs> you know because that's kind of how how they come across <laughs> you know i definitely yeah. identify with that I've, oh really I had oh my numerous, gosh numerous adults when i was younger tell me i talked like i was 30 or oh my gosh <laughs> I, I i have this vivid memory actually of this i was on i was doing my paper route when i was like probably eight maybe uh-huh. nine and I think one of the people on the route had just mentioned that one of her parents had died and I just instantly was like shocked. And I was like, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Like, it seems so scary. The idea of like 
losing one of my parents, but I guess that's what adolescence is all about. And she like <laughs> laughed out loud and was like, you, you talk like you're 30. Like, it's just... Oh my gosh. <laughs> but it was just me trying to like puzzle my way through the world and like make it make sense, you know? Sure. Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I can totally, totally relate to that. I mean, it was, it was very common. It seemed that no matter what I said, um, you know, like some somebody would would uh, ask me a question, and when I'd answer it, no matter what I said, there there would be this uh, slight pause, and then everybody would just burst out laughing. Oh, that's so <laughs> rough. It, it it is it is yeah be, because I I mean I had no idea of what I said wrong. Right. You know, but... Um, like what was breaking convention to make everyone laugh. <laughs> right, right. But it was it was like no matter what I said, there was would just always be something a little bit off about it, mm -hmm. I guess. I mean, that's really the best way that I could describe it. You right. Know? Like it was differently yeah. flagged and people like, <laughs> people could tell the flavor of what you were saying was a little different. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, um, so, I mean, there, there there wasn't that much physical bullying, but um, you know, definitely a lot of e emotional bullying, it, it, mm -hmm. especially you know, uh, being laughed at constantly. Right. Yeah. That's tough. And, and the, it's it tough really, on your self esteem for sure. I I resonate with yes. that. Yes. Uh, uh. mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I got told I was constantly abrasive. That was the word teachers would always use with me. Oh, no. Which I don't think they were necessarily wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's greater context to like why that was happening that I think never got explored. Right, right. No, I think it... it, it, uh, it you know, it wasn't until I, uh, you know, joined the uh, workplace or, or the workforce, mm. you know, that uh, gradually, you know, I had people telling me that I was abrasive or or they, you know, didn't didn't really like my tone or, or, or how I came across. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I didn't really understand the, the social mores. And so it was really common for me to uh, you know, say something that would rub people the wrong way, and and I yeah, certainly didn't do it intentionally, but mm -hmm. you know, I didn't know what, what was appropriate or you know how people were supposed to act. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. So autism definitely like painted a circle on your back like a bullseye for people <laughs> to to bully you at school. I also, oh, yeah. I also kind of wonder sometimes when there is an abusive home environment, like to what extent that that imparts a certain, I don't know, not essence, but like it just conditions our responses, I think, to like how people treat us. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, um, you know, I think about the... Um, intimate relationships that that i formed you know mm -hmm. and i i would say that so many of them in, ended up being abusive in some mm. form and yeah. I, I mean sure i didn't like it but at the same time it was something that i was used to 
you know, from the oh, environment that I grew up in. I resonate you know? with that. So, I resonate oh with that gosh. so hard. That came through oh in work God. relationships for me. It came through in my early yes. intimate relationships. Like I literally, I worked for a person who would literally punch walls and throw things and no one else would take the job. Oh. People literally like left the job. They got the fuck out of the office. I ended up, <laughs> I made like probably 20% more than someone else in the position I would have been in because I advocated for myself really well. But like mm. that's because I had early training in business, which was just such a privilege and just a stroke of luck. Wow. I just wow. ran into one of those um, painting student painting franchises and went, yes, I want to learn about business. And I went and did um, two summers with them. And mm. having having to advocate for yourself with clients about a contract is just so impersonal that it helped me overcome that idea that I shouldn't really advocate for myself. Hmm. It was like I was just in a situation okay. where a manager, like a regional manager, was constantly telling me, like, no, like, don't don't let them, like, bully you off of that. Like, don't take the price down a thousand dollars because they're saying they won't pay now um, because they don't have, you know, the, this or that or like there's some small reason, like make it right. And if you can't make it right, like do these things. And I just had all of these tools that I learned from that business environment. So even mm -hmm. though I couldn't negotiate for my self-worth shit when it came to money it was like no you can't get anyone else in this position no one will do what i'm willing to do this is what i'm going to cost and it was just like it was black and white it was so easy for me but then wow trying to tell that boss not to throw things or <laughs> oh <laughs> right? my gosh so I was in this super abusive relationship with my boss, essentially, um, where I was well compensated. So I felt like this justification to stay. I stayed at that job for like 18 months. Oh, my gosh. It was bad. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but sorry, I'm making this about me. I'm just the things you're saying are like bringing these things up. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, yeah, I totally resonate with what you're saying about. You know, these things just condition us and then we find ourselves in these relationships where we're like, how did I let this happen? And it, there's a lot of self-blame and shame and things like that. At least there was for me. Oh, oh, oh yes, yes. I mean, there there definitely was for me, you know, and, and also at the at the same time, you know, I would, would see other people, you know, being treated differently, you know, being treated a lot better, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh you know, I mean, I, I remember it would, it would be very common for me to uh, stay with the job for, you know, like the, uh, five to seven years, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, benefits were so good. I mean, I hated the job, mm -hmm. you know, and I hated how I was being treated, but, but I felt that, that I had to stay because, you know, of, of the benefits, you know, of the uh, in, insurance you know the the health insurance which um <laughs> you know i mean that really should should not have even been a factor right <laughs> you know to have to um you know stay at a job that that, that you hate just because you know then you'll uh, get health insurance right <laughs> you know i mean there was really something wrong with that picture you know <laughs> yeah i totally and, agree yeah. Oh my gosh! And I I remember too that that I would just marvel when when I'd see people joking with their uh, boss, you know, and and uh, you know just just being really comfortable around their boss or or, or their manager, or supervisor, or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. I always wondered what that would feel like, you know, because mm. 
you know, due to how I was raised and, you know, because of my autism, too, um, mm. I w was, was always afraid of authority figures. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I just didn't, didn't see myself as equal to them. Mm. And on, on the other hand, they didn't seem to see me as equal to them either. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, I mean, I knew that sooner or later, you know, a boss or even a, a co-worker was, you know, going to get mad at me for something and, you know, possibly yell at me or, or lecture or, or, or whatever. And mm -hmm. I don't remember, you know, seeing other people experience that or, or very rarely, I should say. <sighs> yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, it was partially because of, you know, that this is what I was used to. That this was the kind of behavior that, that I had to, uh, you know, deal with growing up. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that it was, was also due to the autism as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And something else. Now, when, when I was uh, living in Portland, uh, Portland, Oregon, mm -hmm. um, it was very common for me to be the only black person on the job. Oof. So th there was also that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, say more um, about that. Say more about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's see. There, there was one incident uh, that, that just totally sticks in my mind mm -hmm. and it, just re really showed me how, as a black person, I you know I wasn't thought of as human, or Ooh. I wasn't really thought of as. Basically, I was 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 always the other, you mm -hmm. know. I was always on the the outside. I you know I never really was the same as you know as my coworkers, you know, and I just never fit in, mm -hmm. and. There, there was one incident that just, you know, brought that home to me that, you know, just, just really showed me that, uh, you know, no, they, you know, really didn't think of me as, as human or as, uh, you know, part of their group. I, I worked for, uh, let, let's see, this was in the um, late 1980s. Mm -hmm. um, I, I worked for this this uh, law firm that basically, you know, they re represented uh, juveniles in, in the mm -hmm. um, uh, justice system. And I was the uh, secretary or the uh, re receptionist, you know? Yeah. And there, there was one day that, uh, uh, you know, th my, Co-workers, well, let's see. My uh, boss actually, you know, told me that a uh, young man was going going to be uh, c coming into the office, and uh, you know, and that that he ne needed a uh, bus ticket. You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I was I was supposed to give him his his bus ticket. You know, which sure. which was I mean that, that was that was you know very common. You know, sure. Um, but. Here is the part that was very, very chilling and mm -hmm. um, uh, frightening and, and just showed me that um, they don't think of black people as human. 
Well, after, after they told me that the you know per- person was go- going to be coming in to uh, p- pick up a bus ticket for me, mm-hmm. then they said, um, "Oh, and I should probably tell you, he's a skinhead." What? Well, I'm so confused <laughs> about why they would think that was okay. Yeah, and not only okay, but funny. Be- because as as soon as they said, oh, but by the way, he's a skinhead, the the whole office just burst into laughter. Jesus. I I, I know I know I mean this this was dur- during the time that the you know skinheads were in the news you know where they would uh, you know like drop drop off dead possums, it, it, you know in front of uh, these black businesses you know. That's so um, fucked. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm very uh, I'm very fortunate in a lot of ways regarding racism as a non-black, non-indigenous POC. I don't see the worst of it, but I mean, I grew up with I grew up with skinheads. Um, they didn't uh, they didn't bother me too much. Like uh, you know, the occasional the occasional name calling or getting shoved into you know against a locker or occasionally getting punched by one with no provocation, just out of nowhere. But uh-huh. but not uh-huh. not like an everyday thing, like a once every few months kind of thing. And then uh-huh. the in between stuff was always a lot less less intense. But I have I have definitely had white friends, people I thought were really good friends, uh-huh. you know. And then I find out they've gone to a meeting, and I'm like, what the fuck is what? wrong with you? I'm not even kidding. Uh-huh. In high school, oh I, I and I gosh. literally asked one of my white friends, like, why would you have gone to a fucking meeting? And he was like, oh, well, because this other person went to a meeting. And I'm like, so two of my white friends are going oh. to white supremacy meetings. What? And, 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 that, and that makes it all right somehow? Or What the? Yeah. So I. I oh, my gosh. I can at least sort of distantly imagine what that would be like on such a grand scale where someone says, hey, we want you to do your job and it's going to be with someone who wants to kill you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it, it was like they somehow, you know, didn't realize how, how terrifying and how frightening that would have been for me. Right. Yeah. And what, what also really got me is that, you, you know, so somebody else could have could have come to the you know front desk and uh, you know right. given him his his uh, bus ticket you know right. or they they could could have you know either been out there with me or they could, sure. could have come out in my place you know right you know because you know understanding how frightening that you know would have been for me you know mm-hmm. I mean there there were a lot of things they could have done but to to just you know, leave me there and, you know, possibly put my life in danger mm-hmm. and and to think it's funny. <laughs> it really shows, like, the disconnect of how much privilege there is. Like, they literally can't even conceive of what that experience would be like for you. Like, to them, it's something, like, awkward. Like, it would just be, like, a funny, awkward situation. They have no conception of, like, all of the trauma of all of the years of all of the abuse. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah, it was like, uh, you know, to uh, them, it would it would be like this, um, you know, absurd kind of situation where right. you know this this uh, uh, black woman is is a receptionist and she is waiting on this uh, guy who's a skinhead. 
<laughs> you know, it's just and so you, wrong on you know, so I mean, many. it's like 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 a sitcom, or, and yeah, right. yeah. And I agree with you. I think that's probably like as a wild guess. That's probably what they were thinking was something. Like I don't think they had a con- had the conception of like how wrong what they were doing was, which doesn't excuse it in the least. It's still abhorrent. No. Right, right. I'm so sorry and, to experience that. Uh, oh my gosh. I, I I mean I I'm I'm just so glad that I'm I'm still alive and and that nothing happened. But I mean I shouldn't have been been put in that position anyway. Absolutely you know? not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And. So something else that's that's really interesting and <laughs> upsetting about the situation is the pe- people who worked there were white feminist attorneys. Oh my god! <laughs> they, they, they were wh- white feminist female attorneys, right? <laughs> you know, and it was like so somehow it did didn't occur to them that. <laughs> this was completely unfeminist, right? You know, yeah. Well, and this and, is why and... this is I think why in the late '80s, like Crenshaw's intersectionality, when it would have come out, which I guess might have been early '90s, late '80s, would have right. just blown that landscape open and been like, oh my gosh, right? <sighs> yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But you know, it takes <sighs> a black woman who's managed to become a you know a UCLA law professor for white feminists mm-hmm. to listen. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Stupid. Because uh, you know, she she has some, you know, quote unquote credibility. Right. <laughs> because Jeez. she's been able to play the game in, in that very colonial white sense of like here's how you earn credentials and become credible and have people listen to you and she sort of did all of that and was like, yes. Hey, here's this really cool idea, you know, <laughs> we can apply it to uh-huh. all of feminism. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. It kind of bugs me. If people say that they're intersectional feminists but don't know who Crenshaw is, I'm like, get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, really. You like, I'm not interested have no now. idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> well, it has been it has been lovely chatting about this. I mean, lovely in the sense that you're just such a lovely person to talk to, but obviously horrific in the content of what we've been sort of chatting about. Uh, yes. Um, yes. Well, you know, I fi- figure I definitely need to get the word out, it, especially today. <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah. speaking of that, I would like to close this session and start a new session, and then we can talk more about how these things impact us. Well, specifically you, um, contemporarily. Mm-hmm. How does that sound? Yes, that sounds great. Awesome. Well, thank you for this session of intimate interactions. I look forward to chatting with you again, Gloria. All right. Likewise. So how was it, Intimates? Did you love something you heard? Or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash interactions, or you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on intimatepodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, 
you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw.